The car you drive every day should be fun. But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries. You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Today. Inevitably, you realize that whenever we start shopping for everybody else, it kind of turns on us and we start shopping for ourselves again. Because I get so well, it sidetracked. It never really stops. Yeah. It, it never, never really stops. stops. Yeah. There's, there's, the, the problem is that I have a car disease and access to the internet. This is the issue. I mean, suddenly I find myself looking at Corvette LS2 powered 1992 Porsche 968s or a 1973 Triumph Stag going, sure, yeah. I, Never driven that. <laughs> that's what I've, that's what huh. I've always needed. I, that's what's been missing in my life, right uh, there. Yeah, I hear you. V eight nine sixty eight. Yes, that just sounds like Perfect. a laugh. I, yes, why not? And maybe ten grand. Who knows? I think ten grand. But I could totally add that. Wait, no, stop it. Don't do it. Well, back here, away. Here's one though, and I'm I'm actually I'm going to post this picture actually tomorrow because it relates to one of our car debates tonight as well. But uh, just this evening, I drove down to the end of my street. And there is a pristine E30, not an M3, but a pristine white E30 BMW parked at the end of my street with a for sale sign on it. They want five grand for it. What? The only downside is it's an automatic, but it is gorgeous. You're kidding it's me. It's gorgeous. Sitting right <laughs> at the end of my street, which I have to be honest, with where I live, I mean, you know this, with where I live, that's a weird place to put a car. It is. Not a it's, lot of people are going to see it. Yeah, not but, too many people out there. Huh. But I, but I, being me, I drove over to it tonight and was like, "What is this now?" And of course, I saw five thousand dollars and was like, "I have five No, I don't. But uh, but I totally then I saw it was an automatic. Grand. Honey, this yeah. car, you you have to exactly <laughs> come with me. I mean, the the, pro- the problem is if we had if we had, and I think we all have this disease. If you're if you're joining us here, you probably have this disease too. I think if we all had unlimited money and unlimited storage, there would be no end to cars we'd buy, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and they would get and they'd get more and more ridiculous too. We get more and more toward things where it's like, why did I buy that? Because totally. in that moment, it was it was a five thousand dollar E thirty, and I thought, well, somebody needs to buy it. I may as well be me. I mean, where do these old cars go to die that are in great condition? I I must buy it. I must save it from a fate of, you know, the junk heap. I've I've got to drive this car, honey. Five grand. Don't we have five grand laying around? <laughs> Exactly. Could we just come on five grand? Just just fun car. We've actually got two really cool car debates tonight. One is for our friend Mike Batchelor. He actually joined us with his son Cody. They joined us at our Chicago track day. Uh, Mike has an S two thousand, which is a very cool car that he actually tracked. He'd never mm-hmm. been on track before. We love that he joined us. Cody joined us as well. So we're shopping for Cody. Which is, uh, yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a minefield, but I'm looking forward to that. So that's our first one. <laughs> and uh, we've also got to talk about Joseph. Uh, he actually has just started listening, and uh, he has some questions about how to get a genuine, fun sports car. And he's got a healthy budget, too. Yeah, these are very different because, you know, Cody doesn't yet have his license. He's only got his permit at this point mm-hmm. in time. Yeah, and yeah. Mike and Cody are shopping together, and that means pretty low cost. They're willing to work on things together together. To keep the price down, mm-hmm. but I love that Mike already said I've already qualified the price. I've already, tr- I've already put it through the, the spreadsheet and the calculators and the 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 Paul limiter is in yeah, place exactly. with Mike for sure. Absolutely, exactly. Yeah. Although you did say five thousand in here, and I just saw five thousand, Mike. I just saw the number and I instantly you just, thought, boom. Your done. brain just your brain just scans for the highest number listed. In That's the what email. I'm doing. And what, you know, what's so, the highest number? Okay, one we day, can go there. Boom. 
Exactly. One day somebody's going to write an email that says something along the lines of, I have no more than 20 grand. I wish I had 60. And Paul's going to go, you have 60. You have 60. So, uh, Let's shop yeah. in the 60 category. <laughs> that's, which is, that's the highest number on there. Which is what Joseph yeah. is shopping in. The, the very different, yeah. two very different debates here. So I'm looking forward to sharing with that. And uh, we've also got to start out by talking about this interesting piece of news that has come across our plates, as yeah. probably you yeah, have yeah, yeah. seen this too about Germany, and they are wanting to ban combustion engine vehicles by the year 2030. Uh, wow. Um, ambitious. Okay. So their federal council is saying this is no longer just a financial incentive, but they're calling for a ban on new sales of new internal combustion engine cars mm-hmm. by 2030. Mm-hmm. And at this point in time, that is just over a decade away and I'm thinking, okay, so that means electric cars, maybe some other alternative fuel, hydrogen has been suggested. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, is this feasible? But I want to break this down with you and think that just means okay. sales. I mean, what about the year 2029? Yeah. And you can still buy a combustion sure, engine. Sure, sure, You'll have it the following year. You'll still be practically a brand new car. Mm-hmm. So I understand that this is very much – you know, it seems less financially motivated than, all right, we really want to cut emissions. Absolutely applaud that. I think in a decade, I think engines are going to be even cleaner burning. I mean, look back true, true. a decade from now. Mm-hmm. I think engines yeah, will yeah. be even cleaner burning because of the pressure put on by the electric car industry and the growth of that. But yeah, I mean, you'll still have, there'll still be plenty of diesels and plenty of cars running around that people have owned. You, you might buy a two or three year old car, you buy it in 2027, and you still mm-hmm. have it and run it. That doesn't mean all these cars are eradicated. That just means at this point, new sales moving forward. So by 20, you know, 50, 20 years later, maybe yeah. at that point, you'll see very few combustion engine cars. But I really seriously doubt. You know, things are going to be changing much. This is just a starting point, but it's at well, least ten years out. And that, well, and there's a political quagmire in this, as there are all over all over kinds of, all kinds of things right now. But I mean, this is a resolution, which means a bunch of us have put a signatures down and said we really ought to think this think this ought to be done. Mm-hmm. And the, it, it's talking about they really want the EU universally across all the European Union to ban new vehicles, but they can't actually require that. So, I mean, that's the other part of this equation. If Germany goes through and goes through with this and the rest of the EU doesn't, does that mean you could go across the border into France and buy a gasoline vehicle and then drive it across the border and register it in Germany? I mean, what happens with all of that? I mean, this is Possibly. a resolution, but it's not – Anything official, and it brings up something that Tom, our, our German correspondent, has brought up with us before when we were in uh, in Germany last year. We talked about this at length, and that is the autobahn. Mm-hmm. The yes. autobahn, of course, we all we all think about it as you know, if you go to Germany, there's an autobahn. Well, first off, it's only about forty percent of their total highway system is de-restricted. It's what you think of when you think autobahn as an American. You think. I can drive as fast as I want. Everywhere, all the time. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But it's only about 40% of the network totally. But then the other part of the equation is the fact that that is essentially a political volleyball back and forth all the time. There are those people that can't stop it fast enough. And then there are those other people that this is a German thing. We have the Autobahn. You can be de-restricted. We've always done this. Why would we ever stop this? And those factions are kind of constantly at war. So there is a contingent in the German government that wants to stop de-restricted Autobahn a year ago. 
five right, years ago. Right. So clearly, I bet you there's a section of that group that is tied to this group. So there, there's, Good point, there's such a actually. there's such a pet, there's such a petrol culture in Germany. Clearly, you know, mm. think about all of that stuff. There is another side of this equation we aren't hearing. Here's this resolution that doesn't mean it's going to happen, but they want to do this. They want the EU to do it. But you know, there's people on the other side of the aisle going, "We're not doing that. Come on, gasoline cars, Germany, Autobahn. Look what we make." So it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out. But it, it is, I think, most fascinating that as a country that is known for we like cars, we make performance cars, to be the place this comes out of for news. I mean, if this was India, we'd be like, well, yeah, you want to bas- ban gas vehicles because look at how many cars <laughs> right. you have. You see, sure. it's, it's interesting yeah. that it's coming from Germany. You're right. And the Autobahn, the, the highway system, and the fact that there are de-restricted areas plays hugely into this because at this point in time, from a technology standpoint, electric cars – Their torque Mm -hmm. falls off at the very high end, whereas there's a lot of high-performance, powerful gasoline cars that still are flat power band. They're still way up Mm -hmm. there at the high speeds. I'm sure the German manufacturers will respond to this and probably in a way that electric cars will still maintain torque and be Mm -hmm. able to go faster than the gentleman's agreement, the 155 miles an hour gentleman's agreement or – you know, just a, that's where we're going to cut it off kind of thing. But mm-hmm. the whole point of enjoying that and taking advantage of that system is having cars that will do 170, 180, 190, and further. Right. Yeah. But electric yeah. cars as they are right now, you can't buy one. I'm sure it's coming. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be interesting to see how resolutions and laws passed like this will affect technology and affect future cars and yeah. how it will shape – what cars can and cannot do. I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, and in the U.S., I mean, think about how this has happened in the U.S. California has led, you know, with their own emissions regulations that they have done for, I don't even know how many decades it's been now, but but California has had stricter regulations in almost every other state. But as Mm -hmm. a result, what's happened is automakers have started making things to be California legal, and that is kind of by default made it that emission standard for the entire U.S., Kind of by default, right? You know, so I, right. it'd be interesting to see. You know, if Germany does enact this, does that pull the whole EU with it? And you know, as as they pass, you know, higher uh, MPG cafe standards and that kind of thing for the U.S. automakers. Well, everybody's got to try to figure out a way, if, even if it's loopholes. We have some electric over here, so we can make a big truck over there. I mean, it, all of these regulations shift the market at large. So for for Germany like to come out with something like this, I'm just really fascinated to see. Okay, so what does that do to everybody's thinking? Yeah, and to your point, deliveries of cars, how are cars transported, and then all the utility trucks on the road, and long-haul truckers delivering goods and all that kind of stuff. Well, is it just, you know, will this be limited to passenger cars only? Will it go broader than this? Of course, remains to be seen. We could speculate endlessly here, but I'm Mm -hmm. just fascinated by how the regulations, as you said, will affect technology, just as California regulations are being, you know, are driving, are driving the Nissan Leafs and the Chevy Volts and the, yeah, you know, the sure, response sure. to, to um, you know, politics, I suppose. So, um, well, let's let's chase the rabbit trail to somewhere strange. Wouldn't it be odd if in 2031 Porsche is making gasoline vehicles they are selling everywhere but their home country? 
Wow, what an even weirder wouldn't, thought. I mean, wouldn't that be weird? I mean, you know, in the U.S., you can get the new gasoline-powered 911, but in Germany, sorry, can't sell it to you. I mean, we don't even know, honestly. I, I and I don't even know if I believe this really will happen, actually, officially, and be the law. But at the same time, if it did, that kind of reality may occur. You know, in in South Africa or Australia or the U.S., you can buy your gasoline Porsche, but in Stuttgart, you can't. Gosh, now you've got me worried because there is nothing like the sound of a flat six at high RPM. And until somebody comes up with something that either replicates it or, I mean, that is the sound of, I will say, speed and performance and luxury. A, a singing V8 at high RPM or a V10 or, you know, a flat six. Mm -hmm. And the sound they make when you see a performance car at high speed or just rumbling by, sure. that's part of the yeah. package that makes you think, wow, luxury and technology and fantastic engineering and all those things that you aspire to, yeah. that's part of the package. And it's, it's going to be a mind shift to go to full electric and think, I mean, the, the noise is no longer there. That, that yeah. thing that stirs shift, you is no longer there. Yeah. The shift is happening already. But it, it is interesting to think about the repercussions of it. You touched on this a minute ago briefly, and that is if, if the Autobahn, and I kind of think if this goes, then the Autobahn de-restricted thing dies with it. That's my guess. But let's say the Autobahn de-restricted thing continues. So you have areas of the Autobahn where you can go as fast as you want, but now you have electric cars. The single-gear electric cars all run out of speed at about 120, and now you are sucking down that battery so fast. Mm -hmm. this, yeah. this affects, this affects high-speed charging stations. This affects, do we now have an electric car with either, A, a transmission of more than one gear, so you have your high-speed setting, or do we change the gearing and the way these cars work? I mean, there's all kinds of things about it that this would affect if it is enacted. I, I'm quite intrigued. It's, it's, at this point, it's just a mind game, mm -hmm. but, I'm, uh, I, but we're still fascinated by it. My head is exploding a little bit thinking about that. So what this uh -huh. means, everybody, is that you need to come to Germany with us to take advantage of the <laughs> Autobahn and come enjoy these cars uh -huh. before you can't. That's the big seller I hear you. Come with That's us. That's funny. We're going to be doing this. We're, we've sorted out the trip. You've heard endlessly the discussions. But tying back to this trip one more time, come before you can't. Really? I mean, Sometime in the next 10 or 15 years, you need to do the pilgrimage <laughs> trip with us because time is running out. Time yeah, is running funny. out. We're over a decade away, but still, you know what I mean. And uh, start saving your money <laughs> this for is, a specific event. This is so far away that mm -hmm. by the time they enact this, if they enact this, my son can be leading the trip. That's how far away it is. <laughs> right. Okay? So wow, I'll put it in yikes. that kind of perspective. It's not like it's on our doorstep, folks. But anyway, we should probably try to move on to uh, a car debate. I want to talk about... Mike Batchelor and his son, Cody. It nice was really cool to meet you guys in Chicago. Uh, you guys should join us. After, that's the thing. Here, I'm going to throw this down for you, Mike. Once Cody starts driving, then the two of you need to come to Germany with us. Oh, The two yes. of you together. Yes, Now, absolutely. candidly, you should probably wait until Cody is 18 or so so that he can still drive overseas. Because he needs to, if he's going to come, he needs to drive. But I, I'm also throwing that out there for you, Cody. I'm just going to say start bugging your dad. Well, there you go. We're going to try to find a car for you. But the flip side of this is let's go to Germany, Dad. It was great to meet you guys. We're going to try to find a car for you, Cody. Uh, and the, there are a lot of list of requirements. And this is that clash, that clash that happens 
with a uh, son who's driving. And first off, Cody, I'm applauding you for A, wanting to drive, and B, wanting an enthusiast car. That is not an overly common reality. I mean, I, I know tons of kids that are you know under 18 who have a demeanor of, I will get a license at some point. Sure. Because that's life. That's life now. That's, yeah, just, that's just the way really a lot is. of people's lives are structured. I get it. So Cody is going, no, no, no. What he really wants is he wants to get a license right now, and he wants to get a WRX right now. And then you have the dad reality, because that's what we as dads have to do. Coming in and going, I love you, son, but uh, you can't have a WRX. That's just not going to happen. You're yes. a 16-year-old, but it's not going to happen. But what I that's like where is, hard. I like Mike's approach, because both these guys are enthusiasts. And Mike is not just coming to this new situation in life from a, well, I got to get you a car. So I, son, welcome to Honda Accords. You know, it's, it's not just going to be that. They're both enthusiasts. So the top parameter here on, on Mike's list of things that he wants, it's got to be fun yeah. to drive. And I love yeah, that cool. that is still there and still paramount in your search. Even though we're limited on budget, we're limited on a lot of other things. The list here, yeah, it's got to have some degree of mm -hmm. credibility from a car enthusiast standpoint. Now, as a yep. brand yep. new driver, you know, I I had a 1977 Jeep Grand Cherokee. I mean, <laughs> yes, we know. And my dad yeah. said, "You and your sister are going to be sharing this car, and it's rusting mm -hmm. from the inside out." And have fun. I didn't get an enthusiast car. Then I got my Honda Accord, an 86 yeah. Honda Accord. It was not an enthusiastic car. But yeah. I like that this is still in the parameters. It's got to be reliable, uh -huh. reasonable For sure. to maintain. For sure. We have mentioned that both Mike and Cody are open to wrenching on it themselves to learn yep. and to keep it running yep. and to you know, do their own improvements as they can you know, with budget. Uh, what else? The modern safety things, ABS, airbags, uh, of course, insurance. That's a big thing that sometimes yeah. you and I touch on. But generally speaking, we're in the mindset of, hey, you're already in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s or more, mm -hmm. and you're already established and you can afford the insurance. We've addressed it before, but we have to really have to stick about to it, it before. this time. It's a, it's a it's because a big a thing driver. here for Cody. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and that's that's probably, I mean, Cody, you probably realize this, but that's probably one of the biggest factors in why a WRX, while cool, is out for you. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. for, first off, I don't know that you need that much car right out of the box, but even if, let's just say for sake of argument, you could absolutely handle it. The truth is the insurance payment is going to be more than the car payment. That's the problem with that car. Because those, those cars already <laughs> yeah. have, I mean, it just is. It just is. It's yep. based yep. on what... The fact that those cars, because generally they are driven hard, they have a higher wreck mentality, that is the problem. So this is the reason that car dies, but we still want to do something fun. So the cars that are on Cody's radar, he, he doesn't want anything domestic. So no American cars. He just he can't entertain them. That's, that's his headspace. Okay, fine. So the cars that are on his radar, he likes the Nissan Sentra S, uh, SER. It's actually pretty cool. The Mazda Protégé 5, that's actually a great chassis, so great choice yeah, there. Yeah, that could be fun. Subaru, Subaru Impreza, maybe even a first-gen Mazda 3 hatch, and then they are debating, if they can find them in their price range, an E30 BMW 3 Series. <clears throat> There's one at the end of my street, Mike. There's one at the end of my street. <laughs> I knew you were going Cody. there. I knew it. Cody, I'm telling you. <laughs> and maybe a BMW 318. Here's where this gets tough. We're talking about about a three to $4,000 budget, which makes this awfully difficult. Uh, but Mike can shop through auctions. So what we're really dealing with is a car that you could find outside of the auction world for, I'm going to guess here, five to six grand. But through auctions, you could get it for three to four. So I kind of operated in the five to $6,000 range because I think you can then get a fine on the auction block from those. 
or you could buy the one at the end of my street. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> Reach so out to funny. me. I'll get you the info. <laughs> it's so right funny. there. I, Send money quick. I'm going to buy your car. Quick. I, but, but, I, but I saw this <laughs> car debate, and then I saw that car. And I thought, wait a minute. That's funny. I, I, here, here it is. I'll, I'll, I'll post a picture. It's right there. But anyway, so I've actually got a couple of thoughts here. We're hoping for even manual transmission. I, I've actually come up with, with three, not including the E30 at the end of my street that practically has your name on it. But it is an auto. <laughs> but I have three others. That's like a song. Isn't that a country song, the E30 at the end of my street? Yes, the E30 Didn't, at the end of my street. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a ter- and there's a, there's a lame dog in the back. It's, it's, it's a very sad song. Yeah, it's a, it's a country song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, Mike, I scanned this, and uh, yeah, the $5,000 jumped out at me. So, you know, the influence is growing. <laughs> I already was thinking like that. And manual transmission, yes. I actually just got into a conversation the other day with two newer drivers. One is already driving and the other is, I think he's 15 or 16 and about to start learning. But I mentioned manual transmission, guys. Learn it as a life skill, not as a, um, I guess, enthusiast choice for right now. That will grow in future cars that you buy. And I say this being the hypocrite, having two automatic transmissions, but I've owned plenty of manuals in my life. And so I say manual transmission as a life skill because anytime you're presented or confronted with, hey, would you move my truck or move that car? I need, I need your help, whatever. Mm-hmm. You'll have yeah. no problem yeah, yeah. doing it. And mm-hmm. you'll learn here and, and really appreciate it for what it is because it's dying. We all are aware this is dying. Well. There's another there's another twist to that manual transmission thing that I just thought of. I mean, you know this family, uh, Paul. You know Donnie and his family here oh, in sure. the Park City area. Yeah, yeah. You know the interesting thing that uh, that their parents that there's there's five kids in that family. Interesting thing that those parents have done, they've specifically put every one of their kids when they first started driving in a manual transmission car. Now, part of it is what you're saying; it's that life skill. But the other part of it is, when you have a manual transmission car, it's harder to not focus on what you're doing. And this is let, – let's be candid. This is a problem with young drivers, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of parents – my parents were this way. A lot of parents where you can't drive your kids around until you get – I mean, your, your friends around until you get used to driving because your friends are distracting. You know, they've got a slushy and they're talking about this and have you seen this on Instagram? And that's distracting to a new driver. It's distracting right. to all drivers. Right. But the manual transmission, let's be honest. It, you can't text and drive manual. Both your hands are busy. That's okay. a great this is, reason, yeah. Th- this is the truth about manual transmission as well. It, it requires you to do more, and so it's <laughs> I mean, harder to be somebody's as Somebody's out there saying, well, I, I just did it the other day. I'm going to prove you wrong. But the idea, you get the point, everybody, right? Is... The, the, yeah, the concept is that it's focusing you more, and it's giving you more to do as a driver, which helps you learn and theoretically also keeps you safer. So I love the manual transmission idea for, for an early driver. And I, have, uh, I, I do have three. One of the ones I want to bring up, I'm, I'm following right along your train of thought here, Cody. You like the WRX. Now, you can't get one. That makes you think about the Impreza. I'm going to say to you, many of you may see this coming, get a linear. That's the non-turbo Saab 92X. Yeah, yeah. Could see Made that. Made in 05, 06. So it is the naturally aspirated, so it's the non-turbo Saab 92X. I submit two things to you, Cody. I think it is a more interesting car than the WRX, well, pardon me, than the base Impreza because, and I actually think this is cool, you kind of have to explain it to people. They're going to be like, you're in a Saab? Yes, but here's what it is. It's well, a better-looking Impreza. Show you the logo a, of Fuji yeah, Heavy Industries. And show you what? all of the Subaru logos <laughs> that are hidden underneath the hood. Yeah, that, that, that's, a fun, that's a fun party game there. But it's a better-looking Impreza hatch. 
I, I think it is. So you could find those cars. They're absolutely within your budget. The non-turbo 92X with five grand in your pocket, you can buy those all day long. They come in manual transmission. It has the, I'm going to get it wrong, it has the 160 or so horsepower, you know, naturally aspirated engines. It's, it's a WRX and a better looking body. That's a big one for me for you. Hmm. hmm. I like that. I like that. That's interesting. I mean, you've recommended it in a lot of different situations, but it also works here, which is good. Yeah. Which is good. Uh, the non-turbos. Like you're looking for ones labeled as linear. Instead of arrow is the turbo. In this case, the linear is what you're looking for. Uh, do you want to go ahead and finish out your list there? I can, but you, you go. Throw out a couple and I'll come back to it. All right. Well, I have to get the elephants in the room out of the way. And this is what I was referring to when I said I went shopping because, Cody, I was shopping uh-huh. for you, and then I took a swerve and went shopping for me. <laughs> You're in the weeds Because now. five grand. Five things you shouldn't. Yeah, okay. Five grand. Right. Hey. 1999 BMW M3 for 5K, 83,000 oh, no. miles in Fall River, Massachusetts, no. and a 1987 Porsche 944 naturally aspirated for 4995, 163,000 miles. But of course, both those cars are going to be nuclear with an insurance company and you. So avoid them. But for 5K, I thought, huh, 5K, how fun. Moving on, yeah. I just had to get those out of the hmm. way. I just had to hmm. demonstrate what you could get for 5K. Well, but, okay, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. What, and I, and I don't know, and I'm, I'm kind of asking you, and Mike, and Cody to look this up, but what would the insurance be on the baby Porsches? Okay, and I'm well, going to go through question. them right now. The, 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 nine, the, nine, the 914, the 928. Not, not, not 20, 924, 924 right. and the 944. Get the base of any of those. These are not powerful cars, and they're old now. There's yes. a part of me that wonders, have they, have they turned the corner insurance cost-wise? I don't know. I'm totally speculating, speculating asking the question. But I wonder, the issue that I would be concerned about is what do they need to keep running? Well, a lot, just as will any car, unless we say you know anything Japanese. Well... With a, with a caveat, which I will say. But unknown. I think it depends on the insurer. And I think if mm-hmm. they see Porsche or BMW, they'll instantly they just might. say, oh, well, you know, here's your gigantic premium. If they're savvy and they look into it and think, well, you know, that 944, it's not exactly the most powerful car ever. So, yeah. uh, you know, maybe we could cut your break or something. But it's still going to be expensive. Uh, it, it will be. And that's why I say, haha, 5K, here's what you could get. But I still – I'm backing off I'm gonna, of those as genuine suggestions. I know you're backing off of them, but I'm going to say to Mike and Cody, look it up insurance-wise because that may be – it may have done that tipping point and it may surprise all of us. I, I see. You, you mentioned it and then, and then I think your, your instant retraction I think is, is a good natural instinct. But there's a part of me that just kind of wants to follow that up and go – Huh, what would they really charge for? I mean, a 928. Yeah. I mean, that's not a powerful car, but it's a little Porsche car. It's cool. Anyway, keep going. I'd, yeah, it'd be nice to have, you know, like mortgage calculators, an app on your phone. It'd be cool if insurance companies said, hey, plug in your age, the car, the miles, and you'd get a You an can. It's just, it's just not quite as fast as you do the mortgage thing. It takes a little bit more time yeah. than that. Yeah, but yeah, take a little your more point. complicated. All right, so I went to Japanese. Japanese cars mm-hmm. are excellent uh, for you know being older. Prices have dropped. Did you know 
that you can get an 04 Mazda RX-8 with 85,000 miles on it for five grand. Hmm. Are you aware of this, hmm. guys? An 04 RX-8. Now, yeah, they're cheap. They're they're. This is my cheap, caveat. Honestly. This is my caveat about being super reliable. You can get wild disparity with an RX-8. You can get the most reliable yes. Yes. rotary engine ever built, or you can get a mm-hmm. money pit. And or that's money, why I yeah, said an absolute money pit. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Okay, so that's a gamble. But eighty-five thousand miles, if it's had all its service, and yeah, what a car. What a find. For five grand? Well, Are you kidding? You me? can run back through Yeah, you can run back through the Mazda rotaries while you're at it. I mean you can start at the right. RX eight, you could go back to the RX seven, you could go back to the RX seven before that. Remember the right. one of the the what was it the late eighties RX seven little tiny car very cool car I mean mm-hmm. one of those is gonna is gonna break over that tipping point of uh, of insurance costs uh, and they're all you're gonna be able to find them under five grand my question is just gonna be that reliability of the rotary I know you guys are talking about wanting to wrench but how much do you want to wrench is the question right but interestingly the RX seven I couldn't find for five k RX eights dropped further than the RX sevens yes I, that's initially that's true. what I thought that's true. RX-7, how yeah. cool is this? The third gen, the last gen of the RX-7. How amazing would that the, be? Yeah. And then I couldn't the 90s find it the price. The 90s one, that's an icon that has hung on. But the second gen has dropped a lot, a lot. They have. Definitely they have. I've I seen don't them. like it I've nearly for five as, as well as the third True, gen. True, but, yeah. but for price, it's a, it's a heck of a car. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you could do that. And then I thought uh, the 99 Acura CL, that's the coupe. Uh, I found one with 88,000 miles. It's a 99. The big problem with that is, though, automatic transmissions. The four-cylinders versions of those cars uh, could be had with a manual, but they're difficult to find. So a little bit different, a little mm-hmm. bit bigger, more on the, hey, reliable, you know, interesting. It's a coupe. It's not a high-performance car. And so, therefore, from an insurance standpoint, might be far friendlier for you guys. So that's why I throw that in there, and uh, sure. you know I didn't want to go full on Accord or Civic or something like that, even though bulletproof, run a long time, you know all those mm-hmm. box checking insurance, all that stuff be great. But the CL was distinctive to me. That very first generation CL, uh, I kind of like that car, and um, could be an interesting choice in there too. So, um, huh? Okay, kind of different, kind of different, but. Uh, I went older. I went older Japanese stuff too. And and Cody, here was my brain. I I think I think I think you and I are the same, Cody. I, I, I'm trying to find you a sports car. I'm trying to find you something you can get really excited about. This budget is hard. You're a new driver. These are difficult hurdles. But I've thought of two. Okay. Early '90s Japanese cars. Okay. One. The, to- the Toyota MR2. Now you can get it in Good. turbo. I'm not talking the turbo. I'm talking the standard. Okay. $5,000 in your pocket, that car all day long. That is a cool-looking little car. You're mid-engined. Your Toyota, this is checking boxes like crazy. Yes, you can get it manual. Yes, you can get it at your price. It looks like a little sports car because it is a little sports car. It's a great little chassis. So that early 90s Toyota MR2, if you like that, I think it's a great one to chase. And the other one is the early 90s Honda Prelude. Ooh, good. Another good great car. Good one. Reliable, yeah. good-looking, good chassis. You can get them in manual. Those are my two favorites for you that were that were not already on your list. Obviously, the the 92X, of course, because I have to say it. And then, of course, you said E30, and I found you one already. But MR2 <laughs> 
and Honda Prelude. I think if either of those cars interest you just from a styling perspective. Now, I will, I will fully admit, I am a long way from the look of the, of the WRX. I, I, I'm into full-on sports car looking things. You may not like that look, but if either of those intrigue you, I think they would be a great find. Do you have a guitar handy? You could, you know, strum a few bars of the E30 at the end of my street song. Could you just – how does that go again? <laughs> All bad. You know, I, I did actually – when I was in college, I worked for uh, the largest country station – well, the largest in reach, country station in uh, in all of Texas. It was uh, – I'm going to do it. You ready? Ready. Waco 100, Texas number one country. Yeah, I, I did that. I did the overnights. Uh, and uh, and you realize how many truckers are listening when the radio station works from s- the southern end of Dallas to the northern end of Austin. Wow. It's all, truck- <laughs> it's all truckers listening. And so I worked the overnight shift there, uh, and I know far more about 1990s-era country music than I would like to admit because of working there. Uh, I don't know why I'm off on that tangent, but here we are. I'm not going to sing you the country version of the E30 song. That's, uh, I, I'm that's, waiting that for somebody happened. to sing that song and send us a little clip. Yeah, it's all bad. What if that's yeah, on YouTube uh, or MP3 somewhere? Yeah. I mean, who sang but that? But honestly, honestly, Mike, if you're intrigued by this E30 at all, I, I could get you the number because it's right at the end of the street. Five grand. <laughs> automatic. It's got like 90,000 miles on it. Looks pretty clean. Looks pretty clean. <laughs> All right. Well, at the other end of the scale here is Joseph, who does not say where he lives or, uh, yeah, the town that he lives in. But he is on the other end of the scale in terms of price, which, interestingly, you might think it would make things completely a lot easier. But I don't think it does because of his requirements and because of kind of what he's looking for. He's a bit flexible on the price, but he's got a pretty high budget, as we mentioned earlier. He is mid-30s, married with children. His wife travels. And a big thing Mm -hmm. that factors into his life here is dropping the kids off at school on his way to work. Yep. If he does not, if he does not, he's got a Lexus GS350 F Sport. Wow. Cool. But if he does have the kids, he drives his wife's Acura MDX if he's taking the kids and she's out of town. So he's got the SUV for that. But... He wants to add a third car and a sports car mm-hmm. to both of these. These cars are staying, yep. and he's yep. got an ideal budget of about 60K. He's somewhat flexible, which is great. Love reading that. 60K with a flex. Love it. Love it. Yeah, which means you're suddenly spending 90 for our friend Joseph. But it's okay. Keep going. <laughs> I actually didn't go that high, I will admit. I, oh, okay. I Good for you. Added All right. 10 or 15 onto that, but I didn't go so high. <laughs> I mean, All right. you know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what he's driven so far is, uh, as he says in his email here, a bit disjointed. You will agree, a Lotus Evora S, which we love. Mm -hmm. Nissan GTR. Uh, What else? Jag F-Type R. Very cool, very crackly and lovely. And Mm -hmm. a Golf GTI. And he liked the Golf. He liked the practicality, I think. And that was speaking Mm -hmm. to him as far as taking the kids and still having fun. But then this sure. thing has crept into his mind about, you know, it'd be cool to have something that's a bit baller, kind of flash, not super flash, but, you know, mm-hmm. hot. Bring the hotness. So, with 60K and a little bit of flexibility in there, yeah, I've got a few choices here. I've got, uh, hmm. Oh, one last thing here. He is thinking about joining a rally... And yep. that does not mean a high speeds through the wood kind of rally. It means, you know, pavement, lots of states, lots of overnights, some high yep. speed. Yep. 
and uh, that could be next summer. So we've got to factor that in. But I think uh, I think the main equation here is possibly bringing the kids. And if you have more than one to bring, that kind of rules out a lot of sports cars. It does. I mean, I, I do notice the Lexus GS and the Acura that apparently are staying. So that makes me think that we... We don't have. I, I kind of went there with you. I kind of thought, hmm, I got to have back seats. And then the more I read it, I thought, wait a minute, do we have to? I mean, I think it's interesting that Joseph's so connected with the golf, specifically the golf R, because he thought, hey, it's so practical. And I thought, wait, 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 wait. You you don't have to have a car that's practical if you're really going to shop sports car. I mean, I, I see that you like that because you realize your fun car could also haul the kids, and so it becomes your daily car. And we do love that. We love you having a car that's awesome that you love to drive that you can drive every day. That's where the show starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you don't have to in this equation. You really could take one of the other cars because you're driving the kids to school. This is the this is the question mark. I think we can go on either side here. So I'm very curious where you went. I've actually got uh, four, no, four, maybe five, but they're, they're kind of going to go quick because they, they relate to each other. But hmm. keep going. Okay. Well, I started out at BMW. I thought, well, how about an M2 or an M3? But then I got Agreed. to thinking. Agreed. Cool. Yes, M3. But if the four-door, if you get a four-door M3... That's pretty close to the recipe of the Lexus, not in comparison mm-hmm. of performance, but in comparison of what oh, you but, can do. You can oh, put I people see. in them yeah, in yeah, a yeah. performance car. Yeah, yeah. So then mm-hmm. why wouldn't you just get rid of the Lexus and only have the M3? But that doesn't solve the problem here. It doesn't solve the equation of mm-hmm. I've got the Lexus. I want a sports car, truly sports car. M3s are awesome. Yeah. I love the M2. But it doesn't really solve that sports car shape and the flash. So Mm -hmm. I thought, huh, have you investigated Porsche? I thought of a a 2012 Cayman R for $61,000. That's interesting. Then I thought, back seats. What Porsche has back seats? Hey, 911s have back seats. There you go. Yep. Okay. Joseph, before I get to my super wild card here, which is not a Porsche, I do want to point out a 2007 911 Turbo that I found with 13,000 miles on it for 72.9. Let that sink in for a moment. Carrera White, black interior, MGMSL.com. I've been looking at it and staring at it all night before we did the podcast here. Well, but that's brand new. Let me stop you there at 9.11 because I I went down the same rabbit trail as you did. Uh, Honestly, we we wound up in a similar spot here. I mean, I, I do like the M2. I, I do like that better than the M3 here. I mean, the big thing for you, Joseph, I mean, you said you've driven a GTR. That really fascinated you. In fact, you said last summer you pulled money and almost bought a GTR. I'm going to say to you, stay away from the GTR in this equation, not because there's anything wrong with it, because I think if you're going to go sports car, you need to go small. It needs to feel small and darty, and it needs to have that classic sports car reality, which the GTR just doesn't. The GTR defies physics and logic <laughs> and is a big, big car. It also defies it's, your garage. It's... <laughs> it's it's mind-boggling how capable yeah. it is, but it is, but it always feels like a big car because it is a large big car. Large, that's for sure. I would, I would like to get you into something that feels more compact and small and has that agility about it, which of course made me think Cayman. You said you've driven the Lotus Evora, which I do think is a candidate, honestly, Joseph. But you said, but made me think Cayman. But then I really thought about your Golf R, and you were like, I could drive this, take the kids, and then keep driving my fun car every day. I. You remember the ad about your 911 being your school bus and it was a picture of a yellow 911? This is you, Joseph. Seriously. Totally. The 911 totally. works. This, If you like the Golf R, 
You can afford a 911. Go drive one. I submit to you, look at the 997 generation. That's 05 to 2012. Look at that generation. See which one you can find that you like. I, I have seen in Park City. I have seen in Salt Lake. I have seen in L.A. I have seen parents commuting to work, dropping the kids off at school with their 911. It happens a lot. I think the 911 in the Porsche lineup is the beginning and end of the discussion, and your budget allows you to have options. Absolutely. I am I'm sold. I yeah. I have an 07 already picked out. It's white. It's beautiful. It's practically <laughs> brand new. Well, Step that right this turbo way. for that turbo for 70, that that is a shockingly good performance car for that amount of money. I I am oh my on gosh. that for sure. 480 horsepower all-wheel drive. It does have the PDK, but you did say you liked the Golf R with the DSG because of hauling the kids and driving the car all mm-hmm. the time and you might just gravitate towards it. So how about the Porsche version of that, the turbo? I mean, I'm, I'm in love with that suggestion right now. Mm-hmm. However, I do have a wild card for you, Joseph. Are good, you ready? Good, good. I bumped up the price to 75000 I know that's high. <laughs> I know it's me. All right. Keep going. Yeah. But you said flexible. I saw flexible. I saw 60000 plus flexible. You did. So I immediately went there. All right. 2008 to 2010, Audi R8 with the V8. At that level, Mm. you have your choice of transmissions, either that R-Tronic or the six-speed manual, and there are loads of cars available for sale at this range. I found you Mm -hmm. two. I found an 08, the 4.2 V8 with a manual transmission with 36,000 miles for 75K. It's dark blue with an even darker blue side blade. And tan mm. leather interior. Oh, that sounds gorgeous. That sounds really gorgeous, beautiful. honestly. Beautiful. I also found a gray R8, the V8 manual, 32,000 miles, also for $75,000. There's mm. loads of these cars. Some of them have been sitting in garages. I think they are a bit smaller than you think they are. They're not a huge car. They're not small like sure. a Cayman, but they're not huge like a GTR. They're right mm-hmm. in between mid-engine Audi, it's got that luscious V8, six-speed manual. That still turns my head. It doesn't matter yeah. the year. Yeah, they're I great. I look at they're R8s. Great. They really are cool. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. oh. We know what it can do. Yeah, that's that's my choice for you is the Audi R8. Doesn't solve the backseat problem. The 911 can, but if you want to mm-hmm. just kind of ignore that, the first gen, that R8 with a V8, those prices, cool. I even found them for 68000 I mean, wow! It's not nothing, but that's a find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well a over a hundred brand it's, it's, new. But it's in the ball, it's in the ballpark of where Joseph is. Yep. I want to bring up a couple others. Now, you mentioned Joseph that you drove the Jaguar F Type. I I'd have to back your play there if you wanted to go there. That is a great car. You drove the the R. Uh, I think you could get any variation of the F-Type and enjoy it. I actually think the center of the range, the supercharged V6 with like 350, 380, I'm getting it wrong. But the middle of the range is the sweet spot of that car, I feel like. Now, you lose your back seats. Great car, though. Uh, so I think that is a real contender. Uh, you mentioned the Evora. I like it. We mentioned the 911, of course. I'm going to say, though, Aston Martin Vantage. Really? Why not? Why not? I mean, I look, you're going to have to be careful with your maintenance and things that could go wrong. But, I mean, that is a car that is a baller car. And yet you could rally across the U.S. in that car and love it. You'd love oh. it. Be great. And yet, you know, I, so I don't – doesn't solve the kids taking going to school problem. But that is a car that's going to feel like an occasion. 
and it's just going to be a great car to drive. I love those Vantages. That that's the one that's aged the best. I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, where? What about a DB9? They have back seats. First off, I don't know if you can get one, but secondly, here's the crazy thing that nobody tells you about the DB9. For the driver and the passenger, they have less space than the Vantage does. Mm-hmm. It's the weirdest thing ever. It's a bigger car with less driver space. I and, and, and to the point that I got into auto shows three years running. I kept getting into the Vantage and the, and the DB9 back to back because I kept going. I must be wrong. I must have gotten in the car wrong. I must have adjusted the seat wrong. It can't be possible that huge DB9 has less room for the driver. No, every time I did it, it's the case. That's and the back so seats funny. aren't usable. <laughs> so so just get the Vantage. Just forget that there are back seats. Get the Vantage is the better car. So wow. I think that's a real candidate here. Wow. I say why not? I say why not? That's a special And then I'm going to throw out huh. I'm going to throw out a wild card for you that isn't even on your list. I looked at DSG, so we're talking about autos. You want to have something that feels like an occasion Alpha 4C. Oh, very different. Very, very different. That's the key thing. That is a very different car to drive. You you're you're down into the the fun small things about the Lotus Elise. It's not as agile as the Elise, but it's close. It's a small car. It feels like a small car. It has that exotic, I bought a Ferrari thing about it. It just does. I know that's a cliche about that car, but it's just true. It feels like you bought yourself a Ferrari. It looks like it. But yet it's a four-cylinder. And it sounds cool. And because it's an automatic and it has a little more creature comforts than the Elise, which is not hard, candidly, you could still (laughs) rally that car. You could drive it cross-country. When we did our film Mid-Inches and Mountains, honestly, being in the 4C was not bad. We drove that car hundreds of miles on the freeway, cruise control. It's not bad. It's a situation where the Lotus, you keep going, where's the good road? Because i got to stop driving this on the freeway. i got to get somewhere. (laughs) The 4C was like, okay, this is not its best place to be, but I'm okay here. So that's my wild card is that 4C. Wow. I was going to say my mountain bike with knobby tires has more creature comforts than a Lotus Elise. But, you know. Just about. You do have an awfully nice mountain bike, though, if I'm honest. It's, you do have a, an awfully nice mountain bike. It's, uh, it's pretty fun. Man, I miss mountain biking now. But all right, Joseph, great, great suggestions. Uh, you've pretty much taken me by surprise with, uh, with the Aston. That's, uh, that could be a special occasion. And everybody will ask you to rev the engine. Every, everyone. It sounds so good. You're going to cry. The a- the Aston, hmm. here's the thing. Once you get to, to 60 or 70 grand, I have a lot of trouble ignoring the Aston Vantage and the 4C because yeah. those are really interesting cars that people that aren't car enthusiasts are going to just love you for having it. And then you're going to enjoy driving it. Yeah. Isn't that kind of the best combination? I mean, if we're going to get into focused track cars and that kind of stuff, those fall down the list. But it's not where we are. It's not where mm-hmm. we are at all. So all right. they've got to be on the list. Wow. All right. Well, uh, hope that helps both you guys, uh, Mike and Cody and Joseph. Hope this helps with everything. We had fun debating that. That's for sure. But uh, we'll jump into some Facebook questions, of which there are many. Congrats yeah, on yeah. these creativity. The, the creativity, if, if, uh, if I'm honest here, is really great. You guys are really bringing the noise. And uh, mm-hmm. we can't get to them all. But I want to jump in with uh, Mark Butler's question, who drives... He drives 20,000 highway miles per year and tries to take care of his car, and he's done the clear film bra, but Mm -hmm. stone chips still happen. I was actually going to ask you, and by the way, we are not being paid to say this, but that Dr. Color Chip thing that you got for for the FRS, have you tried that yet? We've had some good recommendations on that. I haven't put it in yet. 
I, I've got it. I haven't put it in yet because I have a nasty rock chip right in the center of my hood that I need to address. I think that is the way to go. And I say that because we have met multiple people here in the Park City area with very nice cars. And they have across the board tried and recommended Dr. Color Chip. I haven't tried it yet. I can't speak from personal experience. But that's why I went out and bought it because mm-hmm. I knew guys with Porsches and nice cars here that said, I just needed to fix something really quickly. I got this. I'm not a paint expert. And it looks great. Yeah. So I think if that's what you something you want to do to solve for yourself, I think that is a good one. As Paul said, I, I did buy a kit to try to fix this, this nick in my car. I mean, honestly, wintertime for me is going to be the projects on the FRS that I didn't get a chance to do during summer drive season uh you know we, we just actually i should segue a little bit we just shot a piece today that is the last like good hard driving piece we'll do probably on that car this year we had uh, my car naturally aspirated but tuned against a uh, 2014 monogram edition so it has the the nicer interior with a supercharger the jackson racing supercharger it's pretty fascinating i don't feel like maybe i'm missing it but i don't feel like i've seen somebody that's put the tuned naturally aspirated up against the supercharge but we did that yeah, we so could be wrong, but, with, uh, but you're right. I, I don't think with, too many. But it's mine with the header, which gave some gains, and now a tune on top of it from the Open Flash tablet against the Jackson Racing Supercharger. So we're doing that. Uh, so hopefully back, I'm coming back around here to the Dr. Color Chip thing. Hopefully this winter I'll be doing sound deadening and paint fixes. Uh, but uh, for now I've been worrying about other things like, hey, let's do more power. I'm excited to share that. One of you actually asked, uh, Alex Ray asked, uh, because I we posted a picture on our website. Uh, I mean, pardon me, on the Facebook page, and it says we were shooting supercharged versus tuned. And he asked what I meant by tuned, and that's what I mean. Still, my car is naturally aspirated. It has the header and now an ECU tune on top of it, going up against the Jackson Racing Supercharger. So we are going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm going to go back with the Dr. Color Chip thing. Ask me in a few weeks when I've actually tried it, and then I'll have a better thought on it. And by the way, if anybody from Dr. Color Chip is listening, you should sponsor this podcast so we can recommend it. We'll have absolutely. to wait for uh, absolutely so we can talk results, about it more. Yeah, I mean, I've actually noticed one on the GTS. I hate to admit, but I mean, yeah. we're going to drive our cars. It just happens. Remain perfect. Um, eventually, you can always get something repainted. That you know that can happen, but you know for now, mm-hmm. yeah, just we're small about, stone chips. Yeah. We're talking about Nicks, and you don't have that kind of money or time to do the big, hey, let's repaint a whole panel. You just want to solve a little Nick, C- certainly before it rusts. That's the reason I got this kit, is to mm-hmm. solve exactly what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, what else on your list? Any other questions strike you there? Yeah. Uh, uh, staying with the FRS for a second, Keith uh, Keith Roxo asked the question where he said, I've talked a lot about enjoying the dynamics and the usability of my FRS because again I've got a small back seat that back seat folds down the trunk is surprisingly good size so that two plus two in the interior space it actually is pretty good it works for normal life so his question was what's the step up what's the step up from the FRS into all of those realities but yet it's a better nicer car and I have to say it's the BMW lineup now you could go 1M, you could go M2, you could go M235, anything that is a, a serious degree of power more than the FRS and a big jump in price, but is not, you know, 80 grand. Something in right. the I'm talking 40 to 55 thousand dollar range is all of those cars, and they all work as being decent two plus twos with usable trunks, and yet. It's a step up, in, and, it's, and it's the same setup, too. I mean, here's the thing. If you, if you go off into the Porsches, you're changing dynamically how the car feels. Look at our uh, M2 GTS review, or even, frankly, Paul's first GTS long-term piece. We talk about it versus the FRS. These BMWs are still front-engine rear-wheel drive. 
they feel related in basic concept to that FRS. That's why right. I say that. Right. The recipe's still there. Yeah. I can see that. I mean, you, you even mentioned the M- M2 being related in feel. You could see that as the next step. You know, I could see the 1M for you, but, yeah. uh, you know, that, yeah. that could be yeah. coming. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So, Casey Cook, I think your question is kind of funny. It stuck out here. Is the Audi R8 Lambified or is the Lamborghini Huracan Audified? And I had to think about mm-hmm. that for a minute. And I think uh, which car came first? And in this lineup, it would be the R8 before the Huracan, and Audi owns a Lamborghini. So I would say the Huracan is outified rather than the other way around because the German influence on better quality, you know, of course the great design is still there, but all those switch gear and all those parts that make the car better, yeah. I'd say it's more outified than uh, than the other way around. Um, but well, that's interesting. I mean, I... I would say that I would answer the same, but for different reasons. I feel like the Lamborghini has been Audified. When I, when I think about this question, maybe it's weird, but when I think about this question, Casey, and I, look, it's a total theoretical what-if question, but when I think about this question, I think, which is the one that's been made better by the partnership? Yeah. Now, it's sure. really cool that Audi has made a supercar, and they're kind of going into Lambo's territory, and they're using similar engines and chassis and blah. I get that. But yet, there's a part of me that wonders, should the R8 be crazier? It's cool, but should it be crazier? And I'm a big fan of the R8, please understand. Whereas you've got the Huracan, and it maintains the Lamborghini-ness, the oh my gosh, look at that, the crazy colors and the crazy sound. It maintains all of that. Yeah, And true. yet it's only been improved by being Audified. It becomes reliable. The switches work. The things make sense. So the, the, the weirdness you had to kind of excuse in that classic exotic car world has been rounded off of the Huracan, but it's still a Lamborghini. I think the the, Lamborg- the Huracan has been outified, and that's only for its betterment. When I went on the uh, Lamborghini factory tour, we had this pretty spicy tour guide, and she knew English, but she said, oh, Ferrari, oh, they're the kitty cat. Lamborghini is the lion. It's the lion. And I thought, it's pretty funny. And you, prom- and you promptly asked her for drinks. Got it. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah. I kind of did. I was uh, hoping to get her number, but then I had to leave Italy. Um <laughs> <laughs> She, she made the motion no, you, you with her get, hands. Uh, you get her number, you take her out, and then you leave Italy. That's the order. Anyway, keep that's going. That's true. That's true. So she made this motion with her hands, you know, when the chassis meets the engine, you know, or the body meets the engine, they come together, and she pulled her hands together. She said, when this happens, there is no divorce. But I like you. <laughs> I like you a lot. That she was she was bad for you, I could tell. Yeah, yeah okay. she was spicy, and she had that Italian thing going on like crazy. <sighs> that is funny. Reasons to go. You've back. actually you've actually accidentally bumped into somebody else's question. Kenneth wrote in and said he's noticed that we have a tendency to compare cars to women. So he's kind of laughing about that. He thinks it's great, and I actually will admit I do it a lot more than Paul does. Uh, but uh, he's asking, where the heck does that come from? Why do we do that? Is his question. And then the secondary question is, do we name our cars as a result? Now, no, I don't name my car. I've never been into that. But let me explain the women thing. Uh, I like women. I, I happen to be married to a beautiful woman who, when I get into a conversation like this, let's be honest, also a woman that tolerates me many times. <laughs> but I happen to be married to a beautiful woman who gets carded uh, I was, frequently now, which is funny. Y- yes, she does. It's yes, she does. Funny she, story, she, but yeah. 
Yes, she gets she gets actually about a week ago she was carded in a restaurant and the woman looked at her straight face and said, "Can I see your ID?" and my wife kind of grinned at me. And she handed her the ID and the woman saw her birthday and she went, "Good for you." <laughs> I mean, and I you am, thought, "No, no." Yeah. <laughs> Good yeah. for I, me. And I thought I didn't I didn't say it, but I I I said to my wife afterward, I said I really want to look at the waitress and be like, "No, no. Good for me." But uh but here's the thing. I mean, I I feel like I am aging for both myself and my wife. She's like <laughs> stuck in a time warp here where she doesn't age. It's it's fantastic, but that's what's happening. So, I am blessed with a very with a very very beautiful wife. Uh, so that's very nice. And far above, somebody said to me once, she they said you you married above your pay grade, and I said, yeah, no kidding. But uh, the thing about it is this: when you have things you love that you love that you engage with, and it might not make logical sense, what is that? That's whoever you're sexually attracted to, and cars. That's why I relate the two. That's the reason that I talk in those terms because. If you if you know that person who was crazy but you loved him anyway, or who was who was great to hang out with in some situations and terrible in other situations, cars are like that. Cars you love are like that. What I mean, the Lamborghini Countach is a bowl full of compromise served up in a body that you can't take your eyes off of. Have you known somebody like that? You may have. This is why I do that. Mm-hmm. I would agree. It's it's uh, relating to things. I'll speak to. Uh, I guess the art and design world, when you're looking at sci-fi stuff and you break down what you're looking at into basic shapes, they're very familiar mm. shapes. They're just put together in such a way that it looks fresh and new. But you look at uh, a futuristic tech interior or environment and you still relate to those kinds of shapes. Well, we can relate to situations and stories from high school and junior high and locker rooms mm-hmm. and growing up and first crushes and, you know, all those things. And we've all kind of been through that stuff. And, you know, your, your yeah. high school dances and, you know, the embarrassment or shame or success or whatever it is. And so, yeah, 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 uh, yeah it's uh, like you said, who we're attracted to. And um, I, I do the same, but, um, but definitely and there's a, you there's a unit more than me. It's pretty funny. There's a universal reality there. That's the thing. That's why I do it. Because, because love doesn't make sense when when somebody just intrigues you. They can be somebody you've never met, but you just look at them across the room and you go, "Wow, who is that?" Cars do that. If you really like cars, cars can do that, and it may never go any further than that. But the great thing about cars, other than the person that you marry or fall in love with, is you can keep trading up cars. You can just <laughs> I want to try I want to try that car for a while. There's a lot you, of men that you know, trade up and and apply that logic. But, true. Uh... True, but that is very expensive, and it is costly both in finances and in emotional oh, reality. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, I am happy to have been married for a while and uh, love my wife very much, but I would happily change cars weekly if I could. So, uh, you know, that's that's the place where, where I stray. Let's put it that way. Hence the disease, and no, I don't name my cars either. My, uh, my swim team in high school tried to name the Jeep, but it just didn't stick. I mean, I, it was full of speakers, and uh, I won't repeat the name here. It was um, <laughs> it was rather crude, and uh, it didn't uh, stick. Sure. So uh, so I didn't go with that. But um. what uh, what other Facebook questions do you have? Uh, Matt Wong asked, "When do we think a Chinese manufactured car will be rolling down American streets?" And somebody else jumped in here. Uh, JJ, you answered the first ever Buick Envision, which is built in China, as a matter of fact, and shipped mm-hmm. over here. 
that is an example of Chinese built, but what uh, what Matt's talking about is an actual Chinese branded car, like a Sanyang Chinese manufacturer, or yeah, something yeah. like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of mixed on this, Matt, because it could still be a while. I think. Uh, you know, by now, everybody knows that most of the products that are in your life are made in China. On the other hand, <laughs> China has really figured out how to make some high-end stuff. I mean, Taiwan has the best True. fabrics and a lot of luxury goods, briefcases, that sort of thing comes from Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Bicycles, I mean, excellent welding, all that kind of stuff. But the Chinese have also sure. figured out sure. how to build very, very high-end, nice stuff. You're paying for it. I mean, iPhones are mm-hmm. a luxury product. And they're very well built, very well made. So then when it comes to cars, I, I'm not sure the perception is there yet. The Koreans had to go through it for a long time, mm, as did fair point, uh, fair point, you know, yeah. Yugos from the Czech Republic. There was uh, – they'll, they'll have yeah, to Yeah, Yugos never succeeded in that reality. No. You're right. Yeah. They'll have to be here and struggle for a long time just like every other car manufacturer because now we can say Hyundai without laughing. Hyundai and their new N-Sport, yeah. and we're all looking forward to performance. And Hyundai, sure, awesome. Sure. But 20 years ago, it wasn't like that. So Yeah, that's true. They it's have to take put their time in. So it's going to take a while. They're not just going to come over and say, hey, check out this new Chinese car, especially after they're doing the copycat thing in terms of styling as much as they yeah. are. That's just not okay, and that's not going to fly for the North American or, I think, European market as much, even though I have well, seen Sanyongs in Italy going, uh, yeah. okay. But it'll, it'll probably happen like the, – the Hyundai is a good uh, good reference point there. I think that's a great one because if you think about it, why did Hyundais initially sell? Well, they were cheap. You didn't buy them because they right. looked great. You didn't buy them right. because they were the best car out there. You bought them because it was good value for money, and that was the number one reason. Then over time, the cars became great behind that. That's probably what will happen with Chinese cars. They'll be the cheapest thing you can buy on the market, and there are always people in that market. I want a brand-new car with a warranty, right. and, and I want to buy the cheapest one. Those will be the, the Chinese-made cars will be, out, be here first. Interesting you brought up the Buick Envision, by the way, because I saw one yesterday in Park City. Did you really? I did. And I looked at Funny. it and was like, that's an unattractive Buick. And then I went, oh, that's why. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, but, but that's the thing. The Chinese market cars will be over here, and they will be over here because they will be the bottom of the barrel. They will take the place – I mean, you brought it up. They'll take the place that Hyundai entered the market 20 years ago. And then we'll see when <laughs> they become legit beyond that. I will add a big caveat, and that is the electric car thing. Because of how much Chinese money is influencing the development and speed of development sure. of electric sure. cars yeah. in America, in North America, I think it could change things. Because the electric car, the, this entire industry is being turned on its ear by Tesla and now Faraday, Ativa, NextEV, a load of others. Mm-hmm. They will – some will be built in China, but they've got at least the design and engineering in America. So therefore, they're probably going to want to yeah. sell them here too. So therefore, that could change this entire conversation once again and it You're might right. be adopted right. instantly. And people say, well, fine. I, I really don't care where it's made. It fits my life. It's an electric car and that appeals to me yeah. more than the fact that it's Chinese built. And it might be a non-issue. I kind of hope it is a mm-hmm. non-issue to be honest. But That's an interesting point, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I suppose yeah. that's the counterpoint, just thinking about mm. how much Chinese influence and Chinese money is in the electric car world. I mean, talk about, you know, Shanghai and Beijing smog. That's, you know, one of the big drivers of that. Yeah. So, yeah. okay, bring it. 
Um, well, I you know, change everything. you've touched you've touched on something I hadn't thought about until this minute. From a market perspective, the electric part of the car market is the only part of the car market that is universally right now trying to make cars that feel aspirational. They sure. feel like sure. I can I can I can get that. I can make that work. I mean, even if we're talking the Leaf or the Bolt, the ones that aren't necessarily thought of as overly attractive cars, they still feel like I, I can get that. That that could be that works for my life, and it's interesting. It has an aspirational feel that traditional cars aren't always concerned about, depending upon the market segment, and and that's something that will be interesting to see. Like you say, the Chinese market entering the electric market, because I feel like everybody's eyes are on. We have to make this a car that people really aspire to and really want, right. and it's electric. Right. That could be cool. That's going to be the primary focus, rather than okay, you know, it's a yeah. Hyundai from 20 years ago or whatever, you know, snicker, snicker. Mm-hmm. Now it's going to be like, hey, this is the latest, greatest thing. My iPhone was made in China. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. product. Yeah, so, it's a great point. Great okay, point. all right. Well, I think we have uh, beat our topics to death tonight. We are well past an hour. <laughs> I, I want to mention uh, you actually are going to Asia on, on a business trip here very shortly. And so the next couple of weeks, we may only be doing one podcast next couple of weeks. We'll keep you as informed as we can, but we just want to let you know that ahead of time that uh, we'll do a few less because uh, figuring out how to do the podcast while you are literally on the other side of the world does make my brain hurt. So uh, that probably won't happen. But uh, in the interim, <laughs> we are continuing to push out videos as fast as we can. I am cutting the Icon film about all of the BMW M3s and and their offshoots. And uh, you guys are listening to this podcast and putting it firmly in the top five. And that is entirely the fact that you are listening, sharing, rating, and reviewing. We are a top five automotive podcast, and that is awesome. So thank you guys for that. Yeah, agreed. Thank you for that. My entire goal on this trip is to buy something weird and robotic from a vending machine in Tokyo. That's all I want to do. I just want to Check that box. It's good to have goals. Really. It's just, it's just good to have goals. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> good for you. Thanks again, guys. Yes, as Todd said, we'll be, uh, we'll be informing you. But thanks for hanging with us and uh, understanding as travel and life as we hurtle toward the holidays. Uh, but maybe you're listening to this years from now. And uh, that's not the case anyway. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Cheers. Cheers.